We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast features real stories from real people of how they make modern dating work, or not. I'm your host, Yue, former dating coach turned dating insider, if you will. On each episode, you'll hear commentary from my producer, Julie Kraftchik, and other surprise co-hosts. This episode of Dateable is brought to you by 500 Brunches. 500 Brunches connects like-minded people with similar interests to meet in real life over brunch. You answer a quick questionnaire about your interests and how you spend your time, and then they'll match you in small groups of six to eight at a brunch spot in San Francisco. Get a free entry into a brunch now by signing up at 500brunches.com and using the code DATEABLE. Welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. I'm so excited because today we have a remote guest, which is not very often that we do on the show, but for her, it's worth it. Her name is Chelsea White. Hey, girl. Hey, ladies. How's it going? We're so that good. That was very high pitched. I don't know where that came from. I liked it. I was just so excited. That's my Skype tone. That's my Skype voice. You know, you got to overcompensate when you're remote. <laughs> exactly. I have to like over emote so you guys feel it. On the oh, other side of the country, I feel, I feel it. it and I see it. <laughs> <laughs> my 
feels it. He's sitting beside me and licking his butt. So he really feels moved by it all. loving it. So Chelsea's calling us from New York. I'm going to give a little background about Chelsea. And I have a little surprise for you, too, because um, I did a little internet stalking and uh, found some stuff. So Chelsea (laughs) is 35 years old. She's currently in a monogamous relationship. So her bio is just so impressive and kind of long. So stick with me, everyone. She's a comedian, host, and a producer living in New York. Currently, she's the host of the web series Show Me Your Kitty. Pretty Little Liars podcast called Cabernet and A, a dating podcast called Ghosted Stories, and a writer and producer of the hit MTV show Girl Code. Now, I'm going to stop you there because my friend Alana Becker was on that show. Oh, my God. You know, it's so (laughs) – Alana is such a – key to so many people that I've connected with. That's so funny. She's awesome. So because of that connection, because when I saw that, I was like, oh, I've totally heard of your name. Turns out we have 11 friends in common on Facebook. (laughs) God bless Facebook. Right? (laughs) I think we have the same agent in New York, which is um, Mark Turner. Mark Turner! (laughs) Shout out to Mark! And then the third group, which is an even more interesting set is that you're friends with um, our past guest, Madison Perry. Oh, <gasps> my you? angel. My <laughs> angel. We love Madison we used, as we well. Used to, we used to run a show together. We used to produce a show together with our third co-producer, Ala Patel, called New Young Comedians because it spells NYC. Oh, we're so cute. <laughs> what a small world, right? That's so So funny. I went to That's high school. I love it. I went to high no, school with Madison stop. Perry. And then I stop found it. that I went to college with Madison yes. Perry. So we, <laughs> we need to stop this podcast and just offline about Madison Perry. Right? We're just having like a Madison orgy right now. This and is, he was incredible. If anyone doesn't remember Madison yes. Perry's episode was in season two, and it was Love, Sex, and Burning Man. Yes. And we talked about his book. Have you read his book, Chelsea? Uh, I have like several copies right here. We both loved his book and thought it was hilarious. Incredible. Also, we yeah. just love that it was like from a male perspective yeah, of his dating journey. It was, for sure. it was a great episode. So you should go back and listen to his episode. He's hilarious, obviously. Oh, but just This anyway. is so, I so mean, funny. I feel like now we're just all old friends. I know. So now that sets a great tone for the rest of the show. <laughs> now it's time to get personal. Let's get personal. Let's get personal. I'm not done with your bio here. So. <laughs> oh, God. The people don't need to know. I love cats. That's it. Chelsea's been on TV shows such as we talked about Girl Code on MTV, TLC's What Not to Wear. I hope you were what to wear, right? Uh, VH1's Big Morning Buzz Live, MTV's fucking MTV, and TRL. You may have seen her jokes featured in Us Weekly's Fashion Police column and New York Post's 150 Best Jests and Comics' Favorite Jokes and on MarieClaire.com. Named as a finalist in the 2007 Comedy Cellar Laugh-Off, she's played comedy venues and festivals nationwide. Now, here's some fun facts. Uh, She's a lover of wine, snacks, and John Stamos, who've recently got engaged to a girl I know. (laughs) (laughs) Shut the fuck Right? Oh, wait, can I swear? I'm sorry. That is crazy. I thought you were going to say, and also, I went to college with John Stamos. I don't know what I think I said. And we're best friends. And we're engaged. <laughs> we're recently engaged. Okay. But he is engaged to your friend, he so is, it's not that far. He is engaged, yes. I have, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. First of all, I don't think I realized you just got engaged, which I feel sim- simultaneously, like, I feel devastated 
about it in general. I feel devastated also that I didn't realize that I didn't get the news. Also, how crazy that you know this girl. This is crazy. Yes. What's happening? I knew Tell her me back more. in the day in New York, and she um, had never met John Stamos, but apparently they were on the same episode of uh, one of those like NCIS, but not, it wasn't, it was like Law and Order, but they were on yeah. the same episode a long time ago before, and then they, you know, connected in the last two years, and now they're engaged. I'm like, what? She's marrying Uncle Jesse? Oh my <laughs> God. Anyway. Oh, they, they need to come on the podcast. They yeah, yeah, they do. And they're so beautiful. You need to get John Stamos on the podcast. Beautiful. He's beautiful. He is only, he's like aged like a bottle of wine. You know really what? Has. We've been wanting to do an episode on big age gaps in a in a relationship. Oh, yeah. So maybe, you know, I'll have my people call his people. <laughs> <laughs> you should. But speaking of uh, our people, let's talk about what we're really here to talk about, which is dating with Tourette's what yes our oh listeners my are like whoa I did not think that's where <laughs> it's gonna go <laughs> also thank you for reading my like apparently 11 page long bio that was very lovely I was, was like so oh impressive. Jesus Christ I'm yeah. such a narcissist <laughs> like does that on my website um but, but me, yeah. why, don't you, why don't you talk about yourself <laughs> tell us about your history with Tourette's Okay, so yeah, so I have Tourette. I was diagnosed officially, I guess, when I was like four-ish. Uh, my parents noticed that I was doing some tics, such as squeezing my eyes shut, squeezing my fingers shut, sort of nodding my head and shaking my head and just doing, you know, like sniffing my nose and things like that. And they would ask me about it. And of course, I'm like fucking three. I'm like, I don't know. I'm doing these things like are, why are you not you know you're just like I don't know <laughs> this is just what I do right? right we're just all squeezing our eyes shut I don't know what to tell you I was actually first diagnosed with epilepsy mistakenly because the doctor sort of I mean you know like you said I'm 35 and I'm, old, I'm an old woman so this was in the 80s when they were sending uh what like there's going to be a doctor listening and tell me I'm mixing up my um my name's here, but like EEG, I think that's like the, mm. they're looking at brain waves and they're sending it, but they had to send it through like phone lines to get it read at some other facility. Was it and a dial up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, boop, 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 boop. And they're like dialing up on their, whatever their modem. Uh, and it didn't, they misread the report and diagnosed me with epilepsy. So I went on a medication for, being epileptic and my parents were like why is she getting so much worse and then they took me to some other doctors and one of the big trouble that with Tourette's is still in this day and age which is also an old person thing to say like it's still so misdiagnosed and so underdiagnosed because it's such a it's a disease that can or a neurological disorder uh, that can manifest itself so differently so many doctors still just aren't you know, completely educated about to do due to no fault of their own. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong with the human body. Like doctors can only absorb, you know, so much information. So, so basically I was finally just sort of found that one doctor that immediately my said to my parents, like, Oh, well your daughter is Tourette. Like mm -hmm. simple as that. And once we had that, we kind of moved forward with, um, you know, it was good to be able to put, Maybe more so for my parents, honestly, at that time, because I was still so young. It wasn't like I was at an age necessarily where I felt like I needed to put a name to it. It just, it wasn't that 
severe. I'm still fortunate that I've always had sort of a moderate middle of the road case of Tourette all my life. And um, my parents were always supportive of like, if it ever gets worse, or if you feel like you need to go on medication, and we always had an open dialogue about it. I was subsequently, I'm giving you like a whole yeah, um, I, I, like I, seminar on Tourette. But no, because I think it's <laughs> It's sort of necessary because when I read your bio, Chelsea, I kind of thought to myself, what do I know about Tourette? I know absolutely nothing because Tourette's disorder is one of those things that's been sort of commercialized in media. You know, if you think about it, it's it's very um, they've talked about it in films, but in a very negative way or in a very humorous way. But it's not a disorder that we know much about scientifically. And I guess I don't personally know anybody who has who I would it would be obvious for me that they have it. Well, I think like you mentioned, I'd love to hear a little more about this. Like there's definitely extremes of it. And I think in movies, Uh, they like play up like the max extreme. Completely. I mean, and exactly like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Like it's, it's just such a misrepresented and misunderstood and and stereotyped and stigmatized um, disorder that, and I guess to some extent, why of course it is because it's still a sort of like I mentioned like underdiagnosed and you know sort of hard to and sometimes identify and the some of the symptoms of it and the way it manifests itself in people is very interesting and unique and surprising being what I'm sure you know you're referring to and the stigma of it is always that it's a crazy swearing disease right like when you hear Tourette any, anything you know about it 99% of the time is that oh is that when people just like it's the crazy you just swear um and I always used to do the joke on stage about like you know when I was little I didn't even realize that was the stereotype of it so when I heard someone say that like sort of make the joke of like oh my god and then I couldn't stop swearing it was like I had Tourette or something I'm like am I doing it wrong like I don't get it is my Tourette do I just like not have the hang of it yet yeah but um (laughs) you're like I'm not swearing that much (laughs) I gotta work on my Tourette (laughs) I gotta really like own it yeah I mean having the tick of swearing or saying inappropriate things is called coparelia and it is one very specific way that Tourette manifests itself in some people and it's more or less like about roughly 10% of people have coparelia or sometimes echoalia which is like uh, repeating words either that other people say or having to repeat a word multiple times so things like that are more uncommon but of course if anyone can understand why it's going to be the most sensationalized um, and not to also stigmatize or devalue people who do have that that type of tread I mean it's it's a very you know serious form of it or serious to the people who have it because of course it's not acceptable in society to just exactly. say fuck in church you know so <laughs> I feel like so the stereotype typical uh, view that I would have Tourette is the vocal aspect of it. People swearing like you were saying. But I remember when I was, when I first moved to the States from China, I was in ESL classes and my teacher, now I think about it, definitely had Tourette. She had this clinch on her left, lower left jaw. And whenever she spoke every like two or three seconds, she would clinch her left jaw. But I thought that's how Americans spoke English. So I picked up her tick Oh my gosh. Like I would speak English with this left jaw tick because I thought it was normal. Like I really thought that's how people spoke. And still to this day, sometimes it comes back Mm. because I kind of picked it up. But I think it's interesting to me that there are these nonverbal 
actions, these ticks that you're talking about. But at what point do you just have a nervous tick versus Tourette? That is a great question. And also sidebar, it's funny. One of the things that a lot of people with Tourette experience is you can quote unquote catch a tick from somebody like if you notice somebody else doing a tick or speaking about it and jaw clenching is one of my ticks so even as you're describing that I don't know I can't see you guys on Skype but you can see me on Skype and I was even like unconsciously you know like doing like oh clenching my jaw because you said um but (laughs) most everybody has some sort of tick either motor tick meaning like you're saying like movement of your body somehow like doing something with your fingers your eyes you know, your jaw, um, or even vocal tics, like even just saying like all the time in a way is sort of a version of a vocal tic, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. just some sort of involuntary and great thing. But the sort of loose definition of being officially diagnosed with Tourette is having both motor and vocal tics present to the point where it is impacting your life. It is sort of like a loose definition and everybody, again, like it manifests itself so differently um, in everybody and a lot, you can have just a tick disorder. You can be diagnosed with just a tick disorder without be, it being Tourette, which is just Got sort it. of like some, some motor ticks. We're getting way into the minutia. And I hope that your, your guests, your listeners that tuned in to hear about dating are really into oh, no, we're we're, we're dating. We're getting, too, don't we're getting into dating, but I just have so okay, many good. questions because I, I, I just I know nothing, you know, I could talk about um, it all day. Let's do it. So it's inherited. Is that right? It is a genetic disorder from what, and it, it, so little is still known about it. They've recently made some breakthroughs in sort of narrowing down, like it's this, you know, mutation of this gene or whatever. But yeah, it's a, it's a genetic inherited thing. I don't know. I know that I have a cousin a few times removed who has a, a fairly severe form of threat that I've only met a couple of times at like large family reunions, you know, that you have every whatever, like 10 or 15 years. My sister has like maybe a handful of just sort of, ticks that are in no way you know consequential in her life and um my mom has ocd which i also have ocd and ocd and tourette are on the same sort of spectrum and the same family of um neurological imbalance so and as is autism as is executive dysfunction as is anxiety adhd there's all sort of this cluster of this family of what they call comorbids which mean like just two existing you know chemical imbalances at, at once every time you have Tourette you have something else which also is what makes it so tricky to diagnose because it's yeah. a chicken and egg. it's like sense. am I doing this because it's and sometimes I don't even know like sometimes because of my OCD and I'll have rituals and sometimes I'll be like literally have a moment where I'm like why am I even doing that <laughs> so one thing that we read that I thought was interesting that it was most um early Tourette uh, syndrome sufferers were men Sure, and yeah. it was uh, initially considered hysteria when present in women in the early 19th century. Now, I, I think that's because interesting. We're crazy. Yeah. Because we're, the men like have something diagnosed and the women are just crazy. Well, that's just, that's just a little commentary <laughs> right there about yeah, there we go. the sexism in, this, <laughs> in our society. I actually didn't honestly know that about specifically. I knew that it was more, it is more diagnosed or more men are more often to have Tourette, but I didn't realize that, about that it was diagnosed as hysteria. That's really interesting. And currently about 200,000 Americans have severe Tourette's, but milder symptoms appear in one in a hundred people. So that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to think that I may have a mild form of it. Or it's just your ESL teacher. Maybe it's my ESL teacher, (laughs) but how are you currently treating your Tourette? 
It's interesting. It's actually been so much worse than it's ever been in the past maybe six months to a year. And I don't know. That's the nature of Tourette. It kind of waxes and wanes. And sometimes you can peg it to like stress or a life change. And sometimes it sort of is just, you know, seemingly out of nowhere, which I think is sort of what is happening right now. But so I have never form formally treated it I guess I never got dressed in a tuxedo and treated it I've never like I I had sometimes you know when I was younger I kind of went to a psychologist and a psychiatrist for a while just because my parents were like let's just try this out and I was like you know I just don't think it's that big of a deal I was just always sort of able to manage it on my own and ways of finding stress relief because it is it is packed to stress in a lot of ways so like I just I love to run. I run like, well, listen, guys, if you want me to be honest, I've been really out. I mean, that maybe the, we're working this out right now. Is this a therapy session? I really haven't, <laughs> I haven't been working out as much as I used to in the past year and a half or so. And so there you go. That's probably why my chart is back. This episode is called Confessions with Sophie <laughs> <Lewis>. <laughs> yeah, We're just working it all out. So yeah. let's talk about dating. Let's do it. Chelsea, I know yeah. you're, you're in a relationship right now. When you yes. were single, is this something that you would disclose right away? So this is where I wish, I feel like I've like fooled you guys into having me on this podcast and I wish I had some juicy story where I'm like, my dating life was so fucked up because of my trip. <laughs> but if anything, it's been sort of... I mean, it's just the way my brain is, right? Like, I don't have any other brain to know. It's just sort of... So to me, it's not necessarily weird or, you know, but I obviously understand how it could be a weird thing for somebody else. So for me, I feel like dating with Tourette and the way I reveal having Tourette, you know, so to speak, the big reveal, um, is a way for me to sort of gauge someone else's character, that sounds almost sinister saying yeah. it out loud. You know what I mean? It yeah, sort it totally of just makes sense. I guess what we were talking about earlier, there was like a media perception. Like what was the reaction? <laughs> was there like general themes of people's responses? Totally. So um I again I wish for a dramatic effect I could say that like someone punched me in the face once or something. <laughs> Why I would not? love to have had that experience solely so I could milk it podcast. For- yeah, because <laughs> they had Tourette too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, they like punch me in the face. They're like, me too. And I'm like, oh my god, or not even mind you punch me in the face. Um, but yeah, I think it's I've never had anybody do something to the point where it's been this outrageous, what are they thinking? I can't believe that they said that. But you can definitely put people in the categories of like you can tell when it makes somebody uncomfortable just because they're that type of person that has to make fun of something or have a reaction or they feel uncomfortable. So they have, they say something that makes you feel uncomfortable because they just don't know how to be a person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like when you say when someone doesn't know how to just absorb, they feel like they have to make, like, I mean, anytime I'm, I've mentioned it, if it's a first date or whatever, dating somebody where they automatically bring up the stereotype not in a way of like oh you know what that's interesting I don't know a lot about a lot about Tourette all I know is this but you know all I know is that it's a swearing disease that may or may not be true tell me about it that would be a fine response but the people who are sort of like oh so are you you know walking around swearing all the time it's like obviously uh, yeah, yeah that's you, know, like, you can tell exactly and so it's just sort of also I thought I was having a stroke because one of the light bulbs in my overhead light just <laughs> burned out and it flashed before my eyes and I was like is this the end of my life well good thing that's- you don't have epilepsy yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Thank God for that. What's happening with Chelsea on the other end? So in what way does Tourette affect your dating life? Sure. So, I mean, if anything, I think... It, it does allow me to sort of get a judge of someone's character right away. And you can kind of tell the type of person they are. So if they're only wanting to sort of make jokes about it and I get, it's like, that's fine. If people want to make jokes about something that's uncomfortable and that's your personality, that's just not a personality that jives with mine. You know, I want to be able to have just an honest, open conversation right. with, with, but, um, if anything, it's sort of connected me to people in some way. So, you know, I've had several experiences where people have just, it's been a conversation starter where people have said like, Oh my God, you know, my brother has Tourette or, Oh, I had a coworker that had Tourette, da or even similar to what you guys were saying. We're like, sometimes I wondered if I had Tourette because, you know, I had this experience or this or whatever. Um, actually, my my one of my exes, he and I, in a weird way, got together because of my Tourette because I used to run a show in, in New York City called Call Us Crazy that I produced with a friend of mine, Evan Morgenstern, who has uh, OCD. Mm-hmm. And the idea for the show was let's book our comedian friends who have a diagnosable disorder be it you know even just an addiction an eating disorder depression ADHD whatever it might be and do your material about it Uh, and then we had it as a podcast for a while too but so um my ex who is also a comedian he and I were booked on a show together and he introduced himself to me and he was like I heard about your show I have OCD I'd love to do it da, 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 da. and then we kind of started having a conversation and and then we ended up dating so that was sort of you know what so were there any like ticks that came out like specifically on dates like because it's a new environment or whatnot well, here's the funny thing, and a lot of people that have Tourette, I think, have a similar experience where it's like, if your brain is really preoccupied with something else, so so a lot of people have the experience that if you're engaged in something that you're very passionate about, so, you know, for me, I don't do stand-up as much anymore, but when I did, or, you know, I do a lot of hosting stuff now, like hosting my podcast or web series, whatever, when you're performing and doing your thing, the ticks kind of subside. It just mm. kind of out of your brain for a while because you're so laser focused on that thing that you're doing. You know what I mean? Or people like if you're a dancer, if you're a musician, whatever, like you don't, you just notice you're not ticking while you're dancing. You're not ticking while you're playing the piano, while you're singing, whatever. And so I think dating in a way is in that same box of like, you're sort of performing, you know, mm. I wouldn't say it's, passionate I'm me personally passionate about I mean it's sort of a nightmare in a lot of ways but you are in that performing mode in a way you know what I mean like you're sort of trying to be the best version of yourself or you're trying to you're focused on in a way performing as yourself you know what I mean and often will the ticks won't come out until it gets a little further down the road that's why a lot of times I will and I don't force it by any means but if it's you know, first or second date very early on, if, you know, I will just, even if my tics haven't been apparent in any way, just an interest of sort of bringing up things about myself. And I don't necessarily, not that I wouldn't, I guess, just say like, oh, also, and I have Tourette. But a lot of times I'll bring it up in a way where it's just conversational, like, what do you have going on this week? Or what were you doing this week? Like, oh, you know, I had a meeting last night. Oh, what was the meeting for? Oh, well, I'm on the board of the you know, National Tourette Association's local New York City chapter. Mm-hmm. Oh, why is that? 
well, because I have Tourette, you know what I mean? Right. And I kind of weave it in that way and talk about the ways that I'm involved with that organization and things like that. Um, we, we've talked to you for about half an hour now, and I haven't noticed any ticks. I mean, I guess I'm well, like, what, am I missing something here? <laughs> Again, I was even going to say, yeah, it's sort of like since I am, I guess, aware that you guys see me, you know what I mean? I'm sort of to an extent. Well, this is, I guess, the other thing that's interesting about Tourette and I am sure that if another person with Tourette was also in this conversation with me, they could very well have a different experience or opinion, which is just what Tourette is just such a weird, interesting neurological disorder um, that different people can have an experience in different ways. But a lot of people think of Tourette as being completely involuntary as if like, mm. like a sneeze or something. But for me, and I'd say for a lot of people, not everyone, depending again on the severity of which, you know, you have it. Um, it's more of like an itch. It's like, so if my urge to make a movement with my body or make a vocalization is similar to like, if your foot itched. So for a while you can ignore it. But eventually, sometimes it might subside, and sometimes the itch just might get more annoying and more annoying to where you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to scratch it. Like, mm -hmm. it's socially unacceptable to scratch it right now because I have to take my foot off. My foot off. <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I have to amputate <laughs> my foot. <laughs> <laughs> that's so I never scratch my foot. But, you know, like, take your shoe off or whatever, you know, and that's similar with the tick. You're just like people think like, well, why would you do, so if the tick isn't involuntary, if you're choosing to do it, but you know it would be socially unacceptable or disruptive or embarrassing or whatever, but it's just the urge is so overwhelming at a certain I point, see. you're just like, I've got to fucking scratch that itch, I don't care. And so you find ways to just sort of camouflage it where if I feel like I have to make a weird noise with my throat, maybe I'll kind of pretend it's like a cough or mm. it's part of some more socially acceptable. So if you didn't tell someone, because I I almost feel like I'm like looking for it more. Yeah, I'm I like know. laser focused like, on you right now. If you didn't tell someone like on a date, like would they even be aware of this? Would they I, think you're fidgety or something? And that's the thing I think for me, and of course other people with a more severe form of it would have a different experience, of course. But like for me, I think mine is most of the time moderate enough to where I'm able to control slash camouflage it mm -hmm. in, in that it would seem like it was just part of a normal, like, oh, I have to do something weird with my eyes. Well, I'll just pretend I'm, like, moving my bangs and distract. Mm -hmm. So you don't... And so it's a combination of being able to control it for that short time slash camouflage it, you know, or also even you wait till they go to the bathroom for a second or mm -hmm. I go to the bathroom yeah, and I kind of my ticks out. You know, it's like that sort of dance. And so I would say for me personally, I don't think people would notice it, but of course I know lots of other people dating and my age that have it, you know, more severely where they can't, they don't have the ability and the luxury right. to control the same way that I can control it. It sounds like I'm talking, I'm like harnessing a superpower. I'm like, I can control my powers. It's like, it's just a spectrum of yeah, it's severity. Spectrum. Definitely well, a spectrum. What, what about in the bedroom? Yeah, I was gonna ask. That. <laughs> Let's get juicy here. You guys are asking. That is, and I, I mean, I would say it's a similar combination of what I'm focused on. <laughs> just doing the sex. Is that how the kids say it? I'm just doing the sex. <laughs> Um, I'm sort of focused on that, and I don't think as much about it. But a hundred percent, especially, I have sort of like. I'm trying to think specifically. This would be a great. I wish we could like 
phone a friend like Dylan, my boyfriend right now and be like, have do you do weird things that you're like, what is she doing? Right. Call in him, call sex. him. Do but it. I, mean, I can't. I call him. I'm going to call him right now. He'll yeah. never answer. He's probably like, he goes to bed at like 930 at night. Oh, um, is he like 80? Are you dating older man? <laughs> He's like six months younger than me. I'll put him on speaker. He'll never, we'll see what happens. Um, but while we're calling, I think I do some very minimal, like maybe I will make some sounds or like I have a thing where I'm always like sort of nodding my head is a tick. Oh. So sometimes, but I mean, that one doesn't seem weird in the bedroom, yeah, right? Like, yeah, yeah, guys would like it. <laughs> She's really using it as something yes. I don't want. Yeah. yeah, and I'm saying like, no, 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 but I'm nodding yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like, baby, did you, that's baby, good for consent. Baby, did you come yet? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep, yep. Over and over again. Oh, he's yeah. no, he's definitely he's, he's just casting. Maybe he'll call us back though in the time. Okay, we, we can um, get the deal from him again. <laughs> we can uh, email him individually. <laughs> I mean, please, I would. Lo- I'll definitely follow up with you guys. That's a great question. I would love to know the answer. So, I guess what was speaking of your boyfriend? What was his reaction to all this? So, uh, for him, we were dating for about a month. This was like a more unusual situation. Like I said, I feel like I. And maybe not even try, like it's forced conversation. It's just like it's a part of who I am. So I feel like it it usually comes up organically fairly early. But with him, we were dating for about a month. And then it was kind of, I guess, right before the time where we were like, oh, we're only dating each other. Like we're whatever, quote unquote, officially dating. We're going steady. And I had realized we hadn't really talked about it which was I mean again it's not something that I feel like is this big reveal like I mean whatever but I just remember thinking to myself like oh that's really funny that it hasn't come up organically or that at this point I felt like you know I feel comfortable around people I guess fairly quickly to at least not be maybe I'm not going full out tick mode but I'm not like hiding it as much to the point where yeah but he hasn't even asked me anything maybe hasn't noticed but I haven't brought a house and not come up and then um we were laying in my room one day getting ready to like get up and go to brunch and something now I can't even remember how it came up I think I did say something to where I felt like I'd been ticking that day and I was like oh you know just so you know, if you thought it was weird that I was doing X, Y, Z, you know, I have Tourette. We haven't really talked about it. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I'm glad you brought it up because on our second date, like, I was definitely internet stalking you and saw all your YouTube videos about having Tourette and just wondered what you <laughs> <laughs> I brought it up, but he was like, I didn't know if I should ask because I thought, like, yeah. you know, A, I myself for internet stalking, and B, I thought, like, I mean, that's your story to tell, you know, whenever you want to. But I just thought that was funny. So he, like, knew the whole time and was just <laughs> well, waiting I- for me to bring it up. I think it brings up a point, like, when do you disclose this stuff? Because right. I feel like there's one side, like, you don't want to hide it too long because then it almost, yeah. like, feels, like, misleading. But then the like other side, like, we're saying we're, we're like, looking for it because yeah. we know. And, like, is it better right. to, like, get to know someone a little before, like, necessarily saying it? Or does it not even matter because it's not even a big deal? Like, I guess what's your thoughts? I mean, I think it depends on, of course, since I have the luxury of maybe not having to disclose it and put all my cards in the, that on the table in that way just because I can control it a little bit more than maybe the next person. Um, 
I guess I don't think whereas like I guess what I'm saying is someone else who doesn't have that choice just some people don't have a choice right. whether or not to disclose it because it's obvious and the people like me I guess that do have sort of a choice I don't know if it is that's interesting do I think it's misleading I guess it's just to the way I guess I would think of it as maybe misleading or like is it weird when you've crossed a threshold to where why haven't you brought it up yet would just be that it is a part of who you are and there's a certain extent where you've reached a certain amount of intimacy where I think any type of reveal like that would be like well that's so weird why wouldn't you have told me that before because it's such a part of who you are do you know what I mean I'm trying to think of another example like it would be the same right. thing if you were I've well I think of like if you you know it's like oh my god how have I been dating you for three months I don't know you have a twin it's one of those it's like well it doesn't necessarily matter but it's just like it Why doesn't really you affect your relationship, but I think about some of the more mainstream disorders right. like OCD and ADHD. I feel like people joke about that uh, sometimes on their dating profiles. I'm borderline OCD, or I definitely have ADHD. Those usually people don't have it. And those, <laughs> normally people who don't have it, it's almost like they're stealing your thunder in a way. It's <laughs> like, if you really do have it, you know, hello, don't try to pretend. So I guess it's like... To a point of, you know, if you really did have OCD or ADHD, when would you reveal that or disclose that? If I, I'm putting myself in the other person's shoes, like if I were dating someone, um, pretty new relationship, and they had OCD, like diagnosed OCD, when would I want to know? I guess it's not, I wouldn't really care when it was disclosed, I don't think right? so. I think it, like you said it, like Chelsea, like I think it's like, building the intimacy with someone. So it's hard to give like a hard, fast rule of like date one or date 10. Like, I think it all probably depends on how like much you reveal about yourself in general. Like sometimes you reveal a lot about yourself and sometimes you don't. Yeah. 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 I, I guess like if Tourette is more of a outward sort of, you know, like if you think about it, cause OCD is more inward. You, yeah. you do it on, you have right. these rituals you do ADHD is something that you can pretty much suppress or, you know, like manage. But Tourette, I guess we have the stereotype that Tourette is outward and it's uncontrollable. So I guess it does make sense to reveal and disclose earlier just to set some of those myths at ease and say, it's right. not something that I'm just going to like, you know, explode and say something right. or embarrass right. us in public or something like that. Totally. And to manage exactly just like giving the person the ease of like, hey, if you're wondering why I'm doing this, you know, socially strange thing or you know what I mean? Like the yeah. socially unacceptable or like in what we would consider whatever normal or not normal is thing saying like this is how to contextualize it, you know, but you're right. It's like and now we'd get into the nuance of like, is it of course, threat affects, you know, is part of who I am and it does to some extent shape my personality for sure. I would like to think in some ways just giving, you know, me more a sense of empathy and also in the way of, I have to explain sometimes, I guess the main way, if anything, this is probably the way it affects my relationships with not just, you know, boyfriends, romantic relationships, but friendships, um, more so than just the like people getting annoyed with me for making weird, annoying noises, which I always feel compelled to apologize for. Cause I feel like I'm like, how does this not annoy you? My friends will be like, I literally don't even notice. Like, I don't know. Like I just hear you. We're used to it. Like, this is just you. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm so annoying. But 
Um, it's such this, like, I always describe it as like a low, just like a low rumble. It's just like a constant current in my brain, like all these things firing, like do this motion, do this thing, like make this noise that I'm always kind of trying to manage that sometimes other things will overwhelm me. It's sort of like my cup is always like bubbling up in my mind, if that makes sense. And so little external factors can sort of tip me over more than I would say, again, like the quote unquote average person where like, I can just feel very overwhelmed by little things because I feel sort of like already sort of overwhelmed in my brain, if that makes sense. And I also sometimes have trouble and this is where like the ADHD and the OCD and all those things going hand in hand. And it's like, which is it? And like, what is the chicken and what's the egg? Um, Sometimes I almost wonder like if I just never been diagnosed with some sort of attention disorder because I will lose attention and things will get lost on me. And I don't even know if it's that I really have an attention disorder or is it just because there's always so much going on in my brain that I'm managing of like the neurons being like, do this tick, do this thing Mm. that I'm like, I have trouble sometimes completely focusing or being present with other people. So that more than anything, I would say is the thing that I do, you know, have had to talk to people about or felt compelled to be like this is why this is happening or this is why our dynamic is this way or I'm not not paying attention to you or I'm not upset with you. I feel overwhelmed about, you know what I mean? What I think what impresses me about you, Chelsea, is that you're so informative about um, about Tourette and also you really embrace it. I almost feel like you're an advocate right. for oh, well, Tourette. And, and I think that's really helpful for people who may be in the same situation is that instead of trying to, not even hiding it, but instead of kind of brushing it aside, you fully embrace you it. it. You're, yeah. You yeah. own it. You did your research. You know all the big words that are associated with it. <laughs> I try. You know, I try. I hope no like doctors or scientists call me. They're like, you mispronounced. <laughs> it doesn't even matter because it shows that you care and you're not trying to hide it. You care and also you, yeah. you've fully ingrained it into a part of who you are that it's just part of Chelsea White. I mean, there's just, you know, this is who you are. So what what other advice would you give to people who may be in similar situations or have similar disorders? Well, I would say, I mean, exactly what you just said. And I appreciate that was very nice of you, like just leaning into it as much as you can. And everyone's on their own journey and everyone does things on their own timeframe and has their own way. Like I would never try to tell somebody else how to you know, deal with or feel about whatever it is they're going through, which we all do, right? Like I always talk about, we, everyone is dealing with something that makes them feel weird or strange or different or uncomfortable or insecure, whether it is something sort of like diagnosable in this way to just like, you've always felt weird about the shape of your nose. You know, it's like everybody has something when dating that they feel insecure about revealing or whatever. I mean, that's what dating is. It's just like being weird and vulnerable and insecure and, taking a leap of faith but um yeah just for me what has worked is just leaning into it as much as possible and I I appreciate it It means a lot to me that you know you said you feel like I'm an advocate for it because that's what I I hope to be and I I really I I sympathize and empathize with people that have I've spoken to that maybe didn't have a name to put to what they're going through Mm. until much later in life. Like I didn't realize how fortunate and privileged I was to be able to put a name to what I was going through at such an early age. You know what I mean? Um, 
and also just looking into resources in your community. I mean, like I mentioned that, well, there's specifically for Tourette, the National um, Tourette Association of America is uh, obviously a great re resource and they have chapters um, all across the United States. I'm a board member of the local New York City chapter. So even if you don't have a chapter in your area, you know, you can look into, there's lots of resources that they can provide you online. The National Association can. Uh, we are kind of fortunate to be in an age right now where more than ever, you know, there is sort of, this sounds so shitty to say, but I like to joke, and when I had my podcast about mental health, it's like mental health in some ways is having a moment. Yeah, which like, it really sure. is. We feel Thank it. God. Let's embrace it. You yeah. know what I mean? What? Like, it's sort of, yeah. What about for partners? Like, what about if you're dating someone that has a mental health disorder? What would your advice be for them? I think if you are the one that is in a, you know, in a relationship with somebody with, with any kind of neurological or mental disorder, that's such a tricky, and again, like, it's so hard. Every situation is so nuanced, you know, and, and so individual, but in I think it's a balance of following their lead. I think everyone, most people are pretty intuitive, right? Like if you just sort of lean into your intuition, you can sense if the partner, if your partner is dealing with something is dealing with it. You know what I mean? Right. Like are they dealing with it and do they have a handle on it in that sense, kind of follow their lead and just be supportive and just, and listen and, you know, ask them what you can do. And then in the other sense, I think it's really hard to be in the position of that person that it might feel uncomfortable to approach, you know, even someone you've been in a long-term relationship with and say like, Hey, I noticed X, Y, Z going on. Do you want to talk about it? You know what I mean? Definitely. Like, what and about that, just like reading, like some of the resources you mentioned, yeah. like, is that helpful to like at least sure. get an idea of what someone may be going through? Or, I mean, I guess the downside of that is if you Google and just get like stuff that's just <laughs> yeah, not like even like oh, accurate, like what then it could even be to? worse. Well, a hundred percent, all the misinformation. Yeah. I mean, I think like in that instance, and again, like your partner going through whatever he or she's going through is the best resource. And I think just sometimes, and I love like, I, I think sometimes people do feel, can feel uncomfortable asking questions because I feel like I don't want to be rude, but I love, I mean, of course, again, if someone's being like, well, that's weird. Why are you? I mean, you can yeah. obviously, there's a thoughtful question and there's a, but I love when somebody asks me like, oh, well, what does it feel when that's happening? Or, you know, what, what do you think about in this way? And exactly, you know, what we're doing now. Like, I think asking questions makes the other person feel like, you know, whatever, validated and cared about. So I think um, in terms of like reading and stuff like that, it's just like your partner is the best resource and then asking them also, you know, like would, what would you recommend of like things I could right. read or whatever. But then there is also just the other side of like, if you feel like they're not accepting or recognizing what it is they're dealing with, being able to be strong enough to say like, hey, I think, would should we both go to like a therapist? Should we both, you know what I mean? And helping them navigate that to some extent, you know? I think what really stuck with me when you were describing the foot itch, and I think that comes with asking the right questions as a partner, explain it, explain your condition in a way that I would understand, right? What would I find relatable? And when you explain the foot, itch, I think uh, like that totally just did it for me because I get it's like you can control it and you can suppress it, but sometimes it feels so fucking good to just relieve it. And if I were a partner and I heard this, it would help me 
be more empathetic towards the situation and think, oh, I've had that scenario happen to me before and I totally get it now. Any other takeaways that we can think of from Chelsea's story? I think for me, I mean, just going from going to general dating, we all have these tics, whether Mm -hmm. they're, you know, medical tics or they're not. We all have these tics in our lives that we've been coping with, we've been dealing with. Um, We have these behaviors, we have patterns that we do. And one of the ways is, you know, by being with someone, a, a new partner or a partner in general, this is a stranger that you are just now meeting and all of a sudden you're creating a life together. Obviously, they don't know everything that have these pre-existing conditions that you may have. And they may bring out these insecurities mm-hmm. out of you, I mean, yeah. unintentionally. And I think it goes back to that communication of saying, like, one, I recognize that this is this is something I've been coping with my whole life, but I realize I need to educate you on what I've done, yep. you know, what right. I've been going through. And two, I, I think it's about creating that empathy towards each other. Your partner has equally as extreme situations that may not be the exact same, you know, diagnosis, but at least right. you, you you can create that open dialogue. Right. Absolutely. I think my takeaway is like the, what you said about just like how this maybe makes you not as present or kind of has like just other effects that aren't necessarily what you would think of. Like, I think just yeah. more empathy for people in general. Like I think sometimes we're quick to judge people on dates and yeah. you don't really know what's yeah. going on with them. So totally. it's like just instead totally. of being like, oh, they were like zoned out for a minute. They must not find me interesting. Like yeah. stepping back and be like, there could have been a hundred different reasons like why that happened. Like That's yeah. a great takeaway. Yeah, completely. Yeah, exactly. But, but if that does happen on a date, I think there's nothing wrong with bringing that to light, you know, yeah. like, I, yeah, re- totally. I, do you, I realize that you're a little bit distracted as something else on your mind. Do you right. want to talk about it versus yeah. going home and judging totally. to yourself? Like, I can't believe that. Or dismissing them and being like, oh, there's someone else on Tinder. I don't exactly. need to keep seeing them. Like, Everyone has their own journey that they're yep. going through. And yeah. we, you know, it, it doesn't hurt us to just say something. Nine times out of 10, your narrative that you create in your mind is going to be so much more severe than the actual reality, you know? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like the asking the questions is a big one. Like we keep talking about, like to your point just there, like thinking about the most severe situation versus what the reality, but then also I think it does help with the connection too, because like if you ask inquisitive questions, then it can bring you closer in a situation like this too. And so on that note, I do have a question for you. Is it Tourette or Tourette's? I'm so confused. Oh, it's, I mean, I'm confused. I feel like (laughs) it definitely, it was named after, I think the scientists that like discovered it or like whatever. So it was, his name was Tourette. So it was Tourette's like possessive, like uh Tourette apostrophe S. And then over the course of time, I feel like it started to be like more officially like the Tourette Association, like it's, they uh, just, did you like Tourette? And then for, and then recently they're like, we're dropping the syndrome. It's too stigmatic. And then that's when I'm always like, well, too late. Like it's already, yeah, already been stigmatized. But you know, so technically I think right now from an official perspective, it is Tourette, Got but it. no one's going to be mad if you say Tourette. <laughs> But it doesn't hurt to ask the question. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I appreciate the question. I appreciate the question. I think my other takeaway was like the earlier thing that you said, that it's almost like a filtering system to see how someone yeah. reacts yeah. to things. Like, 
I think Absolutely. like you were saying, it doesn't have to be a mental health thing. It could be no. body image. It could be like so many, your nose, yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. It could be a thousand different things. But like if someone just like makes jokes and doesn't like try to get to know you for you, then yeah. it says a lot about the other person as much as whatever you're going through. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. Cause we're all revealing, we're all revealing some multitude of things at some point, you know? So yeah. this is just my thing. And yeah. after we finish this podcast, you're going to reveal to us your ticks in the bedroom. <laughs> we're still going to get two. Ticks, right? <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm like, why is not my boyfriend called me back? Oh, he's, he's like, he's out. <laughs> he's going to call me at like 4.30 in the morning it's and like, be like, what? what? Are you cold? What's happening? It's like, why'd you call me 20 times? Are you okay? <laughs> like, these dateable girls just want to know what I'm like in we the bedroom. We need to know. Yeah. We need <laughs> to know. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Chelsea, I know you have a dating podcast called Ghost Stories, which is like scary dating stories told by real people. What's a, a just very quickly, one, where can people hear your podcast? And two, what's a recent really scary story that was told on the show? Yes, you can check it out, ghostedstoriespodcast.com. But I mean, look up Ghosted Stories on whatever your podcast listening device your favorite is. And oh my goodness, we had one very recently, um, a guy that acted like the the girl and him were in a like three-year long-term relationship after a handful of dates and then pooped. Go, oh, that's yes. the future fake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe he had Tourette. Maybe he had Tourette and he got overwhelmed. We'll never know. You'll never know. I mean, we might know. We can probably find him and ask him, but (laughs) we'll call him after your boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) We get a list out. (laughs) And Chelsea, if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Yes, please. I'm the Chelsea White on like all social media platforms, not because I'm an asshole, but there's some other woman in England already (laughs) that is like some model and she already took all the just Chelsea Whites. So I'm the Chelsea White. Yeah. The one and only Chelsea White. The one and only. Forget the others. Yes. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Chelsea. When you're in San Francisco in December, let us know and hopefully we'll connect you with some of our listeners and some of our previous guests. Yeah. Ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Now go to bed. It's late in New York. (laughs) First. But first. But first. Stay hateable. Your action item for this week is to stop and think about the journeys that other people may be on. Everyone's on their personal journey. You have no idea what's going on in their life. So let's exercise empathy and ask lots of questions. Be curious. Science already shows the more questions you ask of someone, the closer you'll feel to them. Also, follow us on Instagram as we're about to announce the details for our upcoming holiday contest. Our handle is at datablepodcast. If you didn't know already, in our off-season, we launched a premium series called The Why Series, where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We've had some great feedback on how actionable these episodes are, so check it out on our website under the tab Why Series. Or you can now buy directly from iTunes Music. The most efficient way to meet new people is a combination of online and offline. 500 Brunches has your offline covered. Connect over brunch with new friends. Come alone or bring a buddy. There is always a table full of friendly faces, mimosas, and eggs benedict. 
Sign up at 500brunches.com and use the code DATEABLE for a free entry. To connect with us, visit datablepodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under Datable Podcast. Mm-hmm.